Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome back into the Bama on three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, back from Dallas, you ended up going to the game. I went to the game. Quite the experience, uh, both, you know, the media stuff, media hospitality room, Omni Hotel, Goodyear Cotton Bowl, just the whole kit and caboodle. I I really felt like that they were fantastic. The game was, I wouldn't say that it was entertaining if you were not an Alabama fan. I think if you were, there were maybe some frustrations, but also, you know, it was a pretty dominant performance. So, you know, first of all, how you doing, man? It's been, I feel like it's been forever since we talked. It is crazy that uh, I felt the same way uh, when we were uh, setting this up this morning. I was like, man, it seems like a long time since we've done this show. That's not true, but it, it seems like – and it's because so much has happened. And uh, those uh, football uh, bowl events and, and playoff events are just totally crazy in terms of how busy things get. And it's such an unusual game situation. It's nothing at all like a home game. Uh, but, man, lots of fun. So grateful that uh, Nick Saban has put Alabama in this uh, – in this position. Yeah. And, you know, I also think that, you know, just here lately, it's felt like, you know, we, we haven't been able to do as many episodes, me, especially, um, I really, I'm the main culprit. I went home for the holidays and then immediately I got back on Sunday, the day after Christmas. And then the very next morning, uh, at 6am flew out to Dallas. So I haven't really had my equipment and my normal stuff going on. It's been a lot more difficult to record it just in the year stuff. Everybody's busy, hard to get stuff posted. So, 
yeah, I'm just happy to be here, man. And granted, we're probably going to go through a little bit and we're going to have a full slate pretty much of shows this week. I think we're going to have four during the week. Um, and then we're also on Sunday, we're going to be doing our official Alabama versus Georgia game preview. It's not going to be on Friday. Like we would normally do it. It's going to be on Sunday because the games on Monday night that will give everybody plenty of time to, you know, listen to it. You'll get all of Sunday and then pretty much all of Monday as well. And it's going to be a good game. But before we get to that, let's talk a little bit of Alabama Cincinnati because a lot of storylines and takeaways from this game, you know, at 27 to six final score, Alabama, you know, winning by three touchdowns, there were 13 and a half point favorites going in. I think that, you know, me and you both, I was predicting Alabama to cover the line. Uh, I wasn't expecting it to be 21, but I definitely did think that they were going to win somewhere between, you know, 14 and 17 points. So not too far off. I think the most surprising aspect of the entire thing, granted, I don't think Alabama put up quite as many points as I thought they would, but Cincinnati didn't even come close. You know, I thought it was going to be some kind of like, you know, 35 to to 21 or 35, 17, or, you know, something around there. Uh, So Alabama got a little close, but I thought that Cincinnati would have more offensive success than they did. What were your initial thoughts in the game? Yeah, exactly like that. I mean, uh, I think our predictions, our predicted scores were extremely close. I had 31, 17 uh, myself. uh, And, and, you know, but in retrospect, you know, once you watch the game play out, you always feel like, like I I missed some things or I was off. And this is where I was off, probably just – the lack of recognition of how good the defense had played uh, recently, uh, even even the Georgia game, you know, uh, where the defense was really good. Uh, Georgia might have got a, a score, you know, after the game was decided, but but the defense had played really well. The defense played great at Auburn, the game everyone bitched about. And, of course, we had a lot of reason to, to bitch about the performance in that one. I'm just saying that the defense was fantastic, even against Auburn. LSU, these games that made us concerned as Alabama fans, the defense was still playing great. So now the defense gets matched up against a group of five opponent against an offensive line that that wasn't um, one of the better offensive lines Alabama's faced all year. I think if I missed anything in the prediction part, it was it was that I should have known that Alabama wasn't going to give up much to Cincinnati. Uh, the defense is just too good. Regardless of what happens next week against Georgia Clint, this is a national championship worthy defense. It really is. Yeah. And and I think that you make a great point. What I found interesting and I always find it interesting is how much people overvalue going into a football game, the scripted drives early on, just because you have success on your game script to start the game or start the half. It doesn't mean that you're going to have that same amount of success throughout the game. You know, there's a lot of, you know, once you get that scripted drive out of the way, it's all very reaction based is what the defense is giving you. It's down distance situations, that type of thing. And when you look at the splits between scripted versus non-scripted drives with Cincinnati's offense, I mean, 24 plays for 116 yards. That was an average of 4.8 yards per play and two field goals. The only two field goals are the only points that was scored by Cincinnati was the scripted drives to start both the first and the second half went for, you know, double digit plays on both of them was able to drive the length, not the length of the field, but, you know, get down there in the red zone, then kick a field goal outside of that. You're talking 34 plays for 102 yards, you know, three point or three yards per play and zero points on non-scripted drives. So that tells me that Cincinnati's offense had a great game plan for what they wanted to do as far as, 
the plays that they knew they were going to run to start each half. But from there, they weren't able to adjust to what Alabama was doing. And Alabama adjusted extremely well and played extremely well in both halves outside of that, which I thought was very encouraging. You know, I thought that early on, especially early on, but really throughout the game, I thought both uh, offenses had a pretty good game plan for how they were going to try to neutralize the, the, the strengths of the opposing team's defense. Um, you know, with, with Alabama, you know, they were looking to neutralize the cornerbacks, not give them a lot of opportunities to make game-changing plays, and they also took advantage of that 3-3-5 defense that's, you know, undersized, and I was kind of surprised at how many people weren't expecting. Now, granted, I think everybody said Alabama was going to run the football, but I, you know, more so was leaning towards that they could actually come out and and make that the focal point of their offense, and they could play the pass off of that, and they did that, and I wouldn't say they had a tremendous amount of success, but they did at least down in the red zone. Uh, all three touchdowns that were scored by the offense were passing touchdowns despite the fact that the offense ran for 301 yards. But, and then, you know, on Cincinnati's side, you know, they used the quick hitting RPO stuff. They moved the pocket and, and tried to do some things to neutralize Will Anderson Jr.'s impact on the game. Now, granted, he still had six tackles. He still added two sacks. So he still was able to be, you know, I wouldn't say typical Will Anderson. Um, I don't think he was quite as dominant in this game as he's been in others, despite the fact that he did contribute two sacks. But I do think that uh, both offensive game plans for both teams at least to try to neutralize the strengths of the opposing defense, I thought was pretty smart. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I liked Alabama's plan. Look, we, we had talked about it here on, uh, on the show and certainly on the on three uh, message board uh, that this, this game was set up for Alabama to have a big game on the ground. It was set up that way. And, and by that, I mean, Brian Robinson was healthy. And, and if you look at Cincinnati's, uh, statistics over the course of the season uh, where they hadn't fared as well as other spots, a stop in the run. Uh, Alabama's actually pretty good running the ball. And if you looked over Alabama's best performances of the year, um, really Alabama had, had, had leaned on Brian Robinson quite a bit in those games. It, it just all added up to like, this is the opportunity for, for Alabama to win a game really on the ground, not tax Bryce. Hey, and what happens is, when you have a 27-day layoff, the thing that's not going to be as sharp when you get back to playing the games is, is the pass game because there's so much timing involved in the passing game. Uh, it's, it's hard to just pick right back up where you were in terms of throwing the ball, but it's pretty it's easier to run the ball, and it's still the easiest way to win a game. I know the game's changed. I know that you have to pass the ball and score a lot of points to win national championships, but that doesn't mean you have to do that every game. You have to do – in each game, what it takes to win. One more point is that style points are out now. Now it's survive in advance. Uh, during the season, it is important that you not only win the games, but look good and to impress voters. You don't have to do that anymore. Now you just win and move on. When you add up all that stuff, Cincinnati struggling to defend the run, 27 day layoff, uh, no style points no longer necessary, John Mechie out. Uh, it just made all the sense in the world for Alabama to run the ball in this game. And uh, and they did. And Brian was spectacular. The offensive line, despite uh, injury problems throughout the game, uh, did really well in the run game. And, uh, and Alabama's plan, I think, was uh, uh, fairly obvious and should have been obvious to Cincinnati. I love the quote at the end of the game where Sauce Gardner, the Cincinnati All-American cornerback, said, boy, they ran the ball more than we thought they would. Like – Dude, you should subscribe to On3. We, we told you guys 
for weeks this was coming, that Alabama was going to run the ball against Cincinnati, and I guess Sauce just doesn't read our stuff. Well, and it, it just it made sense, right? I mean, you lose John Mechie. That's one aspect of it. But then you're also getting Brian Robinson Jr., you know, what you expect to be back to being full health. You know, now if Trey Sanders can move into more of a, a secondary role, uh, you don't have to rely on him quite as much. And, and so that, that's exactly what ended up happening. And I felt like Cincinnati's game plan going in was we're not going to let the Heisman Trophy winner and, and Bolitnikoff finalist beat us. You know, those are the two guys that we really want to try to neutralize and, and, and limit the impact that they can have on this football game. And this is what has made Alabama's offense, you know, so dynamic and so difficult to defend over the last several years is that they can attack you in a lot of different ways. And in, in the past, you've been able to rely on Najee Harris and other running backs when you've needed to, and you need to have that run game. It was the exact same situation here. You know, Brian Robinson got 26 carries, you know, Trey Sanders ended up adding 14 of his own. So 40 carries between the two players. And both of them had a tremendous amount of success, 271 yards total between the two, including 204 for Brian Robinson, which I did see an interesting uh, statistic. I think it was PFF that posted it uh, on Twitter. And they said that Brian Robinson Jr. leads the college football playoff in rushing yards, but just his yards after contact would also be ranked second. Uh, You know, I think he had 127 yards after contact against Cincinnati, ran extremely hard. You know, I thought the offensive line was much more effective as far as their run blocking than in pass protection. Now, granted, it was kind of weird because I felt like the exact opposite with Evan Neal. I felt like he was not great. He was okay run blocking, and he was, you know, very good or a lot better than the rest of the offensive line in pass protection. Uh, Really, it was the right side that was the main culprit on a lot of issues that were happening with Bryce Young being under pressure. But, you know, it's like I said, I think that with the cornerbacks that Cincinnati has, the secondary in general, really, that Cincinnati has, the fact that, you know, what Alabama has been able to do. And you've got to think from the perspective of feeling like you belong or proving that you belong. You know, Alabama going out there and grinding out a lot of long drives and being able to run the football pretty much at will against their undersized defensive front, that does paint a picture. But I think if you're giving up a ton of explosive plays and and Alabama's offense is having all kinds of just explosive plays downfield, and I think that looks worse, you know, and I think they wanted to make sure that they looked the part And, you know, getting run on for 301 yards didn't necessarily look in the part, but compared to, you know, watching a quarterback break college football playoff records, throwing the football and throwing five or six touchdowns, uh, maybe it's it's better to take that approach. Either way, ton of success for Alabama. Uh, You know, I thought that Ja'Cory Brooks had a pretty good game. I think he had like four catches for, let's see, 66 yards and a touchdown. You know, he was kind of that complimentary option to Jamison Williams. And Jamison Williams, I mean – First of all, you got to give Cincinnati's corners a lot of credit. They're both extremely good, and they were able to limit what he was able to do. But I also think some of that was Alabama or, or Bryce Young saying, hey, we're having a ton of success running the football. We're, we're pretty much running it at will. I'm not going to do anything and take a bunch of chances, you know, and end up making some kind of costly mistake that put Cincinnati right back in this football game. What we're doing is working. I don't have to push the ball downfield. I don't have to take a lot of chances. And you know, some fans came out of it thinking that Alabama really held back maybe for, for Georgia in the national championship, kind of like they did with Notre Dame last year. I didn't get that same feel. I don't think that was purposeful. I think that in some ways it was beneficial and they didn't have to reveal a lot, but I think it was more so of just them taking what Cincinnati's defense was giving them, and that was the run game. No, that's exactly right. Look, there's no 
even even in 2022 football, you know, 20, you know, though, or now it's 2022. I can say that in 2022 football, uh, we all know what the NFL does. We all know what the best college teams do. Uh, we know what Bryce is capable of, but it's still the easiest, most efficient way to win a football game is if you can just take the snap and hand it to the tailback who makes enough yards to keep the chains moving and to eventually put the ball in the end zone. It's the best way to win a game for 10 reasons, uh, especially including minimizing uh, game-changing mistakes. Uh, it's just the easiest way to do it. I do wonder if, you know, Bryce didn't have his best game statistically. He, he seemed a little off to me. I, I think it was the combination of two or three things. Number one was the game plan itself. Um, you know, hopefully being able to run the ball and taking a lot off of Bryce. I think Bryce sort of thrives in pressure. That's when he really rises to the to the surface and, and, and really shows how special he is, is, is how he handles pressure. Well, there wasn't a lot of pressure in this game outside the pressure of having to win the game. Uh, just Brian took so much pressure off of Bryce. I wonder if that made Bryce not as sharp. Secondly, was the 27 day layoff that affects the passing and Desmond Ritter wasn't sharp either, um, you know, and he, he's just a couple months away from being an NFL quarterback. So I think those two things, uh, Mechie not being there, which is sort of his security blanket as, as a possession receiver, I'm sure that was a factor. Uh, but you add all that up and, and, and Bryce didn't have a great day for Bryce. Now that said, he threw for 181 yards and three touchdowns and just one interception. That's not exactly disastrous, just shows how Bryce has raised the bar so high for himself and others because uh, uh, that that's really not a terrible day for a quarterback. But we just know as, as fans that have seen Bryce play uh, every game of his career and thrown every pass of his career that, that, that this past game uh, on Friday wasn't a typical Bryce. I think he was just, he was just a little off. He definitely looked a little bit off, but the approach that I took or the, the takeaway that, you know, I got from that happening was he respects what Cincinnati has on the back half of their defense. He understands that they're breaking in some new guys because John Mechie's not there. And maybe that trust is not necessarily there with, you know, some of the guys that are, that are having to step up. You know, you, you could trust that John Mechie was going to win his one-on-one -on -one matchups consistently. And you had also Jamison Williams running the routes that he typically runs, who was going to be able to win his matchups, one-on-one matchups fairly consistently you didn't have as much confidence in that as maybe you have in past games. And that's totally okay. It's, it's him respecting the talent that he was going against. And that's the smart thing to do that. What would have been concerning is if Alabama wasn't having success running the football and he's still not trusting his guys to win, because that's what you need him to do at that point. You didn't need it. So he's, you know, taking the approach of I'm not going to give them the opportunity to make a play, you know, pick six, interception that they run down to the five-yard line, you know, whatever it ends up being that is going to allow Cincinnati to get, you know, some positive momentum going. We've got momentum with what we're doing. You can have this type of – or implement this type of game plan when your defense is playing the way that Alabama's defense played. You can take, you know, chew up clock. You can take forever. As long as you're putting points on the board, you know, you're totally fine because you're not having to respond to an offense that's putting a lot of pressure on you by scoring points. I think if Cincinnati would have been able to do that, you would have had a or saw a much different approach from Alabama's offense. So I had no problem with it. I think Bryce Young will get right back to being Bryce Young against Georgia. 
Granted, I think Georgia is going to be a much tougher test than they were the first time around. I think they're going to have a better game plan. I think they're going to be ready to be able to, you know, apply a lot more pressure packages to kind of compensate for the fact that they were not able to get pressure on Bryce Young the first go around. And we'll see how that turns out. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that more later this week. But I liked what they did totally fine. And I actually like the fact that Bill O'Brien, you know, he kind of added some, you know, option pitch elements to Alabama's offense. And I, I understand that there was – you know, deemed a forward pass, which I thought was pretty close, but I understand the call, I guess. But, you know, you, you look at what he did just from, you know, he was improvising against Georgia. He got out there and then he just randomly pitched it out. I don't remember who was on the receiving end, but he pitched somebody and they were able to get, you know, a first down or a pretty big gain. And I think Bill O'Brien saw that. And he's like, we need to do more of that kind of stuff. You know, put defenders more in conflict, you know, past the line of scrimmage. As long as you're pitching the football backwards, which is, I mean, that's it was just unfortunate how that particular play ended up working out, but that can put a lot more pressure on the perimeter on defenders because now they're having to, you know, react or read an option much further downfield. Yeah. And, and, and to me, it also, it's, it's a real, it's even a discussion that we'll all have during the off season. Um, I, I think what Alabama can really do to, to make this offense even better in year two of Bill O'Brien plus Bryce, assuming Bill is back, because I think we've all heard the rumors about him and the Jaguars. I don't think that'll happen, but it, it could. Uh, but I'm assuming Bill O'Brien's back with Bryce. I think the big thing this offseason that, that they can do with the offense is, okay, now how do we add Bryce's legs? Because Bryce's legs weren't a part of things this year. Now, there have been times, and particularly later in the season, he's been doing more with his legs, but – I think it could be such a big weapon next year, uh, particularly, uh, you know, you're going to have more confidence in, in, in the backup situation with Ty Simpson coming in and Jalen Milrow uh, being a year older. And I think there'll be more confidence, you know, to, to, to where if Bryce got hurt, Alabama could continue to win the games. But uh, what, what Alabama, it's like a weapon that's not being used is Bryce's legs. And that doesn't mean, okay, let's just run a bunch of quarterback draws. Let's run a bunch of quarterback sweeps. No, it means stuff like that. It's moving Bryce around and using his mobility and his foot speed and his athleticism to add plays, to add elements to the offense and just make the defense defend everything. Uh, I think it'll be a key for Georgia, but I really think it's kind of the challenge of the off season is uh Boy, we can make this offense really impossible to stop if we if we throw in Bryce's legs as a big weapon and not something that we're using as a last resort. Completely agree, and that's exactly kind of where I'm at with things. You know, I don't. I think with Bryce's lack of size, I think there will always be limitations as far as what they ask him to do. But I do think they'd ask him more of him as they you know start to figure out. I think Bill O'Brien's starting to get a feel for things. You know, him him adding that wrinkle to Alabama's offense this past week, even though it didn't end up working out, A, they put that on tape. Now, George is going to have to prepare for that. That's just one more thing to cause them potential or potentially cause them issues. But it's him adjusting, him seeing something. You know, like I said, I, I think that he got that idea from watching Bryce improvise and kind of let his, you know, natural instincts take over against Georgia the first go around. And he, and he just did that on the fly. And Bill O'Brien sees that, and he's like, we can utilize this. We can turn this into a part of our offense that makes us even more difficult to defend. And I think that that, you know, it is it proof that he's making adjustments or at least some adjustments to help make Alabama's offense better. Now, we'll talk a little bit about the defense because we spent a lot of time on the offense. First of all, 
like I said, I thought that Cincinnati had a pretty good game plan as far as, you know, trying to neutralize Will Anderson Jr. Um, they were, you know, like I said, a lot of quick hitting plays, RPO types of stuff, you know, moving the pocket, getting, uh, you know, uh, Desmond Ritter on the move. I still feel like that Will Anderson made an impact, but they really did a good job or is probably about as good of a job as they could have possibly have asked of their offense to try to mitigate what he was able to do on a snap to snap basis. He still had some dominant snaps, still was able to contribute, but on a consistent, you know, snap to snap basis, he wasn't the same dominant performer or impact player that we've seen in other games. But, you know, I thought that they got great complimentary work from other guys. I mean, DJ Dell, you know, the, the, the run stuffing nose tackle even walked away with a sack. I thought that Christian Harris had a fantastic game. I thought Henry Tooto played pretty well. I think Harris played better, but I thought both those two guys worked pretty well in unison. So overall, very impressed with the defense. And I'll give you an opportunity because another huge talking point going in, Jalen Armour Davis did end up starting the game and, and he did play a little bit, but you could tell that he was still hampered. You ended up seeing Kyrie Jackson come in and play opposite Kool-Aid McKinstry, you know, kind of down the stretch and, and for a majority of the game. Just talk a little bit about Jackson and Kool-Aid and the performances that you felt like they had going against, you know, a pretty decent Cincinnati passing attack. Exactly. Uh, you know, Cincinnati, hey, look, who else held Cincinnati to six points? I know Alabama fans uh, were so used to having a great dominant defense that, that, that you know, we, we weren't surprised by what happened. But look at what Cincinnati's done in all their other games. Notre Dame's good on defense. And Cincinnati scored, you know, in the mid-20s at Notre Dame uh, in that game. You know, Alabama's defense was outstanding in this game. And when the, when the defense is outstanding, to me, that means that everyone played well. Uh, you can't have a dominant defensive performance against a good team and have two or three guys who played like who played crappy because it only takes one defensive player to make a huge mistake and, and then you give up a, a, a ton of yards. Um I think everyone played well, but uh, in the secondary, they had to do some some mixing and matching back there. It was really Kyrie Jackson's first extended play uh, where, you know, he, he he played a ton of the game. Really, Jalen Armour Davis came out after one series. Let's give that kid a lot of, a, a, a lot of uh, uh, praise because Jalen Armour was obviously hurt. Uh, he missed the last couple of games. He's obviously got a fairly significant injury. I think we all know he would like to uh, to be an early entry NFL guy. That may happen, but hey, he could have just said, "Hey, I'm hurt. Forget it. I'm just going to start training for the NFL, and what happens happens." Uh, but I'm not going to bust my butt to get ready for this game when I got the NFL ahead of me. But he didn't do that at all. He wanted to play another game for Alabama. He wanted to play in the playoff, and he obviously tried as hard as he could, but. He just wasn't himself, didn't look too sharp in his uh, in his one series that he played. Kyrie comes in, and he didn't look like a guy playing in his first uh, extensive college experience. And considering the size of the stage, considering he was going up against an NFL quarterback and, uh, and quality wide receivers, uh, I think Kyrie did really well. Uh, Kool-Aid did well, Battle and Helms, the safeties, the middle of the field DBs continue to play their best football of the year. Uh, you know, I, I think they were playing well at the end of the season. They're continuing that. Like you said, Christian Harris, uh, he had in particular a good game. Dallas Turner, uh, again, not not playing at all like a freshman. Will Anderson, MVP, deservedly so, even though I think we've all seen Will play even better than that, but it was still uh, Will made his presence known. And the defensive line in particular, I want to give them credit. They don't always show up in the stat sheet 
But when the defense as a whole is dominant, that starts up front. There's no way the defense can be dominant with just an average or bad performance by the defensive lineman up front. So uh, very good performance by everyone. Uh, and this defense, you know, if, if Alabama doesn't win the national championship uh, next week against Georgia, Clint, I don't think it will be because we said uh, the defense just wasn't good enough this year. That's not true. Th this was a national championship worthy defense and uh, kudos to all the defensive uh, players and uh, Pete Golding for uh, for the first time, really, in my opinion, for the first time since since 2017, maybe 2018. Uh, the first time that Alabama's put a defense on the field that, that could lead a team to a national title. Absolutely. And I think when you're talking about Alabama's defense and the performance they've had throughout the season, you really got to take into account. I, I feel like that they've been very good, you know, getting after the quarterback. I think they've been very good as far as stopping the run. You know, they've given up a lot of passing yards at times, but you also have to understand this is in reaction to the Alabama offense. They're scoring a ton of points when opposing offenses are going against the defense. They're taking a, you know, more of a two minute style approach where they're trying to, you know, pretty much score very quickly, play keep up, uh, make sure that they aren't allowing Alabama to create too much separation. If you had Alabama implementing the same game plan that they had against Cincinnati with a dominant run game and really just playing the pass off of that and taking, you know, small chunks, not really having any explosive plays downfield, then I think that the numbers, the passing numbers that Alabama has given up defensively would come down dramatically. So people need to understand that. I think across the board, from a pass defense standpoint, I think at times there's been mental lapses, uh, you know, communication breakdowns. I think that some of these, you know, young guys are, you know, and, and the defense has been fairly experienced, but they've had to turn to young guys in certain instances. And there's been times where guys have been banged up. I mean, Jalen Armour Davis, there have been big plays, you know, even against Cincinnati. There was, you know, uh, I wouldn't say one huge play, but a, a fairly big play where he missed a tackle because he's not 100%. Josh Job has played a majority of the season, not 100%. And I think fans don't realize just how good Josh Job is um, when he's fully healthy. I don't think he's been fully healthy this year for a, a majority of this year. And I think that certainly affected this play. But because he was, you know, not healthy, gave up some big plays, you know, there were some guys, you know, some growing pains. Um, you know, DeMarco Hellams at times has not been healthy, you know, early on in the year. Malachi Moore didn't even see him against Cincinnati. I'm getting a lot of questions about him. I really don't respond to him, even though I probably should. Um, it, I just don't know. I, you know, I think it's injury related. I don't think it's that he's performed so poorly that he's not going to see any more snaps. The coaching staff is just that down on him. The fact that he's not playing tells me he's not really healthy and they might be turning their attention towards uh, 2022 with them. And I would expect him to have, you know, be a very strong bounce back candidate for top bounce back player on Alabama's roster next year, potentially. But the defense in general, just across the board, I thought has performed extremely well. You talk about Kyrie Jackson and what you said. I think Jalen Armour Davis being available, and I think he'll continue to be available because of the depth issues. If I was Alabama, it would be Kyrie Jackson and it would be Kool-Aid McKinstry against the Bulldogs on Monday night, and I would have Jalen Armour Davis as an emergency option. If something happens to one of those two guys, you've got a guy who has experience. He's probably going to be limited, but he'll be, you know, 10 days further from, you know, the injuries that he's been dealing with. So maybe he'll be, you know, looking a little bit better. And that would be the approach that I take. Doesn't necessarily mean that's what they're going to do. But, um, and then also another big point from the defense, and it's something that we saw a little bit at times last year, especially against Georgia last year in Tuscaloosa, but we haven't really seen it a lot this year. And that is the defensive front of their 
the the defensive lineman, and it wasn't just them. Brian Branch also had a pass deflection, but getting in Desmond Renner's throwing lanes, I thought that was absolutely huge. I thought that that stalled or stopped a lot of offensive momentum and a lot of offensive drives. I mean, you talk about them getting down there on the goal line, and you know, uh, no offense, but Kool-Aid McKinstry got absolutely cooked off the line of scrimmage on one particular play. I think it was Alec Pierce that cooked him, and he was wide open on a, on a slant. And Brian Branch came on a blitz and was able to get up there and get his hands on the football and it, you know, batted it down and prevented the play from happening. Those are the kind of things, you know, when you can get in the quarterback's throwing lanes and affect his ability to throw the football in that manner on top of having a dominant pass rush and on top of having, you know, a good secondary like Alabama's had, that is only going to add that much more. And when you look at Stetson Bennett last year, Alabama was able to do that quite a bit in that Georgia game. They did not in the first matchup. And Stetson Bennett has gotten much better as far as, you know, he's an undersized quarterback, but he's learned to kind of compensate and prevent uh, defensive linemen from getting their hands up and getting passes batted down at the line of scrimmage, maybe as much as, as he did, you know, last year uh, in his first season as the starter for Georgia. But I think that that could be something that ends up playing out and having an impact on Monday night. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, as far as Jalen Armour Davis's help, help I, I agree. That's a great point you make about him being available. I, I think Alabama would, would be in trouble without that. I mean, if, if you get Kyrie or Kool-Aid hurt in the next one, then you're going to a part of the depth chart that you, you just never thought you'd get to or, or never never imagined that, that that could be something that could – we really need to keep Kool-Aid and Kyrie healthy. But if they're not, at least Jalen Armour Davis is uh, wants to play and is capable of, of, of playing and helping out. Uh, but, but that would be big. Uh, getting the hands up in the pass lanes was a – you know, I, I'm not, it's not that Alabama never does that, but you could tell it was a point of emphasis and, and for it to be a point of emphasis in a week in which you, you know, Desmond Ritter's not a 5'11 guy. He's not Stetson Bennett. Alabama did the same thing against uh, Georgia in the, in the SEC championship game, but Stetson Bennett's sort of a, a smaller, shorter guy. Uh, you wouldn't think against Ritter that would be a thing, but Alabama noticed something on tape or someone did and, uh, and, and made it a point of emphasis and it helped win the football game. Great plan on defense, great execution. And again, Alabama will go into Monday into the national championship game playing as well on defense as they played all year. Uh, if Alabama comes up short Monday, I, I don't think it will be because of a deficiency on that side of the ball. Now, Georgia's going to score. Georgia's not going to be Cincinnati. Georgia's not Cincinnati. They're not going to score six points. I, I think if you hold Georgia to around 24 or less, you've played outstanding defensive football. Uh, Georgia's a super elite team. People give the defense almost too much credit without giving their offense more credit. Georgia has scored bushels of points against everyone they've played, and they're an SEC team playing now nine SEC games, about to play a 10th, also played Clemson uh, during the regular season. Georgia scores bushels of points. They're very good on offense, especially their offensive line. They are, yeah. And I do think that they'll have a different approach and a different game plan. Uh, and we'll talk more about that, you know, later on in the week. But I, I think you pointed it out. Uh, I don't know if it was through a tweet or on the message boards, but you, you know, said that you feel like it's going to be a much different – actually, I think it was on the Crimson and Coffee this morning. Uh, yep. You said that you felt like it was going to be a much different game this this time around, and that's what we're going to talk about because I, I think in a lot of ways you're correct, you know. But that's going to kind of come later in the week. But you know, just very quickly before we wrap this episode up, just want to talk a little bit about the injuries. Emil Ikior Jr. He you know he goes out early in the game. J.C. Latham comes in at right guard. 
you know, late in the game, Chris Owens ends up getting hurt. Amari Kite comes in at right tackle. Jamison Williams had to leave the game briefly. And in his absence, the three-receiver set was Ja'Cory Brooks, Slade Bolden, and Javon Baker. Uh, Baker ended up having or playing a little bit more than I think people realized. And, and I've kind of, you know, in some ways saw that coming. I think that we probably should have all saw that coming in a way because, you know, Nick Saban, when he was asked about replacing John Mechie, the first name that came out of his mouth was Javon Baker. And he ended up talking about Ja'Cory Brooks and how he's already stepped up. And so I don't think that he meant you know, necessarily that it was going to be Javon Baker being the main guy, but just the fact that that was the first name that popped into his head when he thought replacing John Mechie, you know, we, I think we should have probably given that more, you know, attention and, you know, Baker didn't have a great game or anything against Cincinnati, but just the fact that he was out there and he was playing, you now know that he's, he's certainly back involved in the mix with the offensive game plan, at least from a kind of first guy off the bench or, you know, if something happens to somebody else in, in the national championship at receiver, you're probably going to see Javon Baker. So as far as the offensive line's concerned or, you know, talking about Jamison Williams, if for whatever reason, I mean, his wasn't significant. We thought it might be, but it was fine. He was fine. He came back in, I think, on the following drive. Um, what are your thoughts on the injuries? Well, I, we don't have any information or any knowledge that uh, that that those guys are out uh, for Georgia. Uh, I think uh, Echior and Owens, uh, that, that situation needs to be monitored. As we all know, Alabama's offensive line, not really in a position to where they really need a lot of losses there, remains, I think. I mean, the you know, I hate saying the weak link. That sounds so that that's kind of overstating because the offensive line is actually pretty good in comparison to most offensive lines in the game, but the offensive line may be as strong as other units on the team. You don't need to have losses there, but uh, I, I, I don't think that we're, uh, you know, ready to say by any means that, that, that Echior and Owens are out. I think obviously Jamison returned to play. He'll, he'll be fine. Uh, we just know that Mechie will continue to be out that Jalen Armour Davis is uh, available, but limited is probably the best way to put it based on what we saw against Cincinnati. But uh, as of today, as we record this on Monday, uh, right now, Clint, I, I expect to see Emil Echior and Chris Owens out there against Georgia. Yeah, and I, I would certainly think so too. I did find it interesting that in Chris Owens' absence, we saw Amari Kite, not Damian George. Oh, that that should – we don't need to spend 30 minutes on That should tell us something, right? That should tell us something about – how they feel right now about who can help us win and who's and who can't. Yeah. I, I just thought that that was very interesting. And, and Damian George is a guy that I've been high on. Uh, you know, I think that long-term his potential is still up there. I think he's got a high ceiling. I don't think that the coaching staff is necessarily, you know, down on him long-term, but maybe they felt like that Amari kite coming in, you know, gave them a better chance or maybe something's going on with Damian George behind the scenes. You know, he's dealing with some kind of injury or something's going on where he was not the guy that they turned to. I, I'm, I don't I, I don't have the knowledge to be able to read into that too much. I don't have anything, you know, that's going to point me, you know, is he in trouble? Is he hurt? You know, anything like that. So I'm not going to try to speculate too much, but I just thought that, that was something that we probably should talk about at least a little bit or at least mention. And then Latham coming in at right guard. You know, mm -hmm. I said this, you know, this past week when people asked me about, you know, Tommy Brockermeyer and J.C. Latham and where they're at as far as their – you know, why aren't they contributing more or, or how is their first year going? The way that I put it based off of people that I've talked to is Tommy Brockermeyer is more of a physical thing. You know, he just needs a, a full off season in the strength and conditioning program, get bigger, stronger. You know, he's already a big guy, but just get, you know, stronger. You know, with J.C. Latham, it's more of a mental thing. 
You know, it's just yeah. him learning exactly what he needs to do on a snap to snap basis. Just understanding everything that's going on, playing offensive line just isn't knowing necessarily what you're doing on a particular play. The offensive line has to work in unison, and you know he's played some some right tackle, but mainly been a guard. And for the foreseeable future, that might continue to be a thing. But once things start to click for him, and he really gets confident in what he's doing and understands it, he's going to be a great player, uh, a, a fantastic player. You know, Reuben Foster was a guy that I always heard you know didn't early on in his career really didn't know what he was doing too much. And he just slowly over time continued to master it, continue to learn it. And once it clicked for him, you know, he got to kind of work behind the scenes and be a special teams player early in his career. Once he was put out there, fans just saw this incredibly dominant player. And I think with J.C. Latham, you know, you don't get to see, you know, offensive linemen too much on special teams to kind of make impact plays or anything like that. So, you know, they kind of develop behind the scenes. And then when you see him, I think J.C. Latham's going to be another Reuben Foster where he comes out there and when he finally becomes a starter, he's going to be a very, very good player for Alabama. So, Jimmy, do you got anything else before we hop out of here? No, I love that Reuben Foster, J.C. Latham comp. I think it's perfect. And Latham uh, showed us uh, what's to come in, in this game. Considering the stage, considering the opponent, considering he played a lot with the ones, uh, I, I think he, he must have played well. I, I haven't isolated on the offensive lineman watching the tape yet, but I, I know this. It's just a fact of football to any, anyone that's played this game that if you rush for 301 yards against an opponent, the guards blocked well. <laughs> you can't rush for 301 yards without getting quality blocking from the interior offensive line because that's where the run game ends is in the interior. If you don't control the interior of the line of scrimmage, you can't run the ball. Alabama ran the ball for 301 yards. So Latham must have played well. And he did play well. Yeah, I kind of watched him a little bit. And I thought, you know, kind of the way you put it, all things considered, coming in on the fly, not really uh, having worked a ton with the first team. You know, you're working between Chris Owens and Seth McLaughlin, which I guess also – that's another point that we could have talked about, the fact that McLaughlin ended up being the center, not Darian Dalcourt. I thought that was the, the correct move. Um, I don't think McLaughlin was quite as good as he was against Georgia in his, that kind of first action, that extensive action that we saw him, or first start, I guess you'd say. But I still feel like he was pretty good, and I still feel like that's the correct move moving forward, even though I think Darian Dalcourt could also get the job done. But J.C. Latham, I felt like, had a good game, both whether, you know, whether it was in pass protection or in run blocking I didn't really see anything, you know, as far as him getting exposed too much as far as being a pass protector, you know, and he, and he did seem like he was kind of settling in a little bit and was more confident in what he was doing. And that just shows the growth that he's made over the course of the season. So you give him another off season and the strength and conditioning program to get bigger and stronger on top of him, just learning what he needs to do. He's going to be a great player for Alabama fans do not need to be concerned about that whatsoever, at least not in my opinion. All right, that's going to do it for today's episode of the Bama on 3 show. We're going to be back tomorrow with the mailbag answering any questions. Then we're going to be, you know, doing another crossover podcast with Dogs HQ on Wednesday. And then, you know, I'm trying to get a national guest on Thursday, kind of bring more of a bird's eye view, you know, an unbiased, I'm not saying I'm unbiased, but just anybody that covers Georgia or Alabama, they're going to have mastered uh, that particular team and know a lot about it. I kind of want to look at somebody with the more national look or reach and just how both these teams are being viewed and what's being said about both and, you know, based off the first performance. And then, like I said, you know, we'll probably take Thursday and Friday and maybe even Saturday off. Uh, I'm going to be traveling on Friday. You're going to be traveling on Saturday. That's moi. Um, and then 
I said Thursday, excuse me, just Friday and Saturday off. And then we'll be back on Sunday to record a preview episode of the Alabama George game. So guys stick around for that. Jimmy, as always, I appreciate you uh, hopping on here with me, brother. No, oh, fun. Uh, miss doing the show. And we got a lot of stuff this week. Be sure to tune into the message board as well. We'll, we'll be talking about uh, George all week on there. Yeah, it, man, it, it's going to be, you know, a lot of people are downplaying or, or saying they're not excited about the national championship. The fact that both these teams already played, the fact that it's, you know, uh, it's very difficult to beat a team twice. The fact that now people are saying Georgia, you know, won't have that mulligan. Um, they'll have a much different approach. It, it's going to be great coverage. Um, it's going to be fun to talk about because this is a team, you know, just a month ago that we all thought Alabama or a lot of people thought like Alabama really didn't have too much of a chance to beat. Uh, so we know that they're certainly capable of beating Alabama uh, on any given, you know, Saturday or in this case, Monday. So I think it's going to be fun to break it down, and I can't wait to do that. And, Jimmy, I appreciate you once again hopping on here with me, and we'll, we'll talk again soon. This has been the Bama on 3 show, and I'm your host, Clint Lamb. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's $200 to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text HOPE NY in New York.